New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Good morning, Kiwi. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Um, I am. I'm. I. I'm looking forward to Week Ten. <laughs> I had a. I had a rough Week Nine. Everybody so, had a. Everybody had a rough week. Yeah, nine. I know. I know. Everybody <laughs> had a rough. So, uh, so I'm. I'm really looking forward to today. I feel really good about my plays and my picks, and uh, I'm. I'm. I'm excited. I think that there's some sneaky good plays and sneaky good picks today because of, you know, unfortunately, uh, the injuries and and what's going on. So. Uh, Anyway, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for week 10. Let's dive right into it. Let's talk about the Jets and the Bills. And, um, you know, no bigger conversation piece or storyline, I'm sure, happening in a lot of local watering holes in around New York and New Jersey is the quarterback situation with the Jets, with Mike White and, of course, Zach Wilson. Um, I have my take. I'll give it to you in just a second. But let's start with yours. Your thoughts on Mike White and him getting another start today. And Kiwi, do you feel that there is a quarterback controversy here with the New York Jets? I don't think there's a quarterback controversy. I think in the position that they're in, they're just trying to win football games. You know, they're just, they're just, uh, I think it might be that simple. Like, let's just go out there and let's win. The thing I said before was that, you know, when you, when you look at the energy and the enthusiasm that was you know, infused into that team when Mike White came into the game, it's obvious. You know, it's obvious that that the team has seen something in him, you know, week in and week out or his personality, you know, I mean, not just his play, but also, you know, his personality, his leadership that has has given them like a a revived enthusiasm. And I think, you know, you go with it, you know, I think long-term decisions can be made uh, later on before right now this team just needs wins and they need that energy they need that passion and and um and his ability to 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 make the smart play to manage the game control the game right now is is being very effective so so here here's here's my take and i'm really curious to get because obviously you know you were a player on a team in a locker room and i'm curious to get your thoughts on this and that is you know, and, and let's go back. Let's let's rewind first. If you recall, we were hosting the show. Jets were taking on Cincinnati. And I said on our show, I said, listen, I'm taking Cincinnati. Two words for you. Mike White, who knows, could possibly be one of the worst backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I said that on our show. You know what? You know, because here's the thing. Kiwi, we didn't know, right? We didn't know. Who knew? Who knew? Not me. I didn't know. And you, you, you know, we as media folk, even though, yes, I've been covering the NFL for quite a while, but fans as well, we want to believe that teams going to put their best foot forward, right? We want to believe that teams are going to play their best players all the time. Well, this is not the case, Kiwi. I mean, it's evident what we've seen with, with Mike White. He definitely has been the best quarterback in the room, but did not play. And, and I, I, you know, I, I think we'd be foolish to sit here and think that the coaches didn't see that at camp, we'd be foolish to sit and think that the players didn't see that at camp or at practice. So, like, I, I, I get the philosophy of an organization drafting Zach Wilson where they did, maybe feeling the pressure to start him. But what about the players in the locker room? Like, what if you're a player, Kiwi, who's like, I don't know, maybe you've got like a year, two left. You're not, you know that the Jets organization you know, isn't going to be your the, the team you're going to be playing for for the next five, six, seven years. Do you really care about helping them develop a quarterback? Aren't you going to be like, man, you know what? I'm here to win football games, and we don't have our best quarterback playing. Like, what, like what the heck's going on here? I didn't sign up for this. I'm curious, if you're playing on a team that you know the best quarterback that gives you the best chance to win is not starting, how are you feeling, Kiwi? See, I think for – Everybody out there, it's it's more about the position, right? So it's like, oh, this is a, a quarterback controversy because the quarterback is the most, you know, featured, you know, player, the most talked about player, and obviously he touches the ball every play. He's arguably one of the most important players on the on the field. But for players, that happens a lot. You know, th- this this type of situation um, comes up often where there's somebody playing who, for whatever reasons, be it contract, be it pedigree, be it age isn't necessarily the best at that position at that time. And, you know, as players, you know it, you feel it. And, 
you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's the nature of the, the beast once you get into the NFL. You know, money's involved and, and you know, teams have to look for longevity. They have to plan and prepare for, for the future, whereas in college and, you know, high school, it's, it's a really about – you know, everybody's only got a couple of years. Like we have to win now. So there's the ability to say, Hey, you know, you're not getting it done. Like you're, you're out of here. But so for, for the coaches, you know, if you're looking at who is potentially going to be a, a 10, 12 year guy, or who is going to be the guy who's going to help us win right now, they they've got some really tough decisions to make as a player. You just want the best guy on the field, you know, not, not only because it gives you the best opportunity to win, but because that's what you're taught growing up, you know, is that if you play hard, if you practice hard and you, you know, perform well under pressure and, and, you know, are consistent week in and week out and you deserve to play, then you will play. And that, that theme is repeated, you know, from grade school to high school, college. And then when you get to the NFL, it's like, well, wait, wait, something's different. And, my take is, you know, I, I was a, I was a first rounder. I snuck right in there, 32 overall, you know, but, um, <laughs> but so I, so I understand both, um, both sides of it, right? You, you don't become a first round draft pick by accident. You work hard. And I say, I figured out how to play college football. Now, did that necessarily translate to playing in the NFL? Not a hundred percent. It's, it's different. I changed positions. I, I moved back and forth. I did a whole lot of things, but not everybody coming from college, um, develops into the player that that we're expecting them to be in the NFL and vice versa you know like that I mean that could be a good or bad thing there's there are guys who weren't big time college players who come in and they figure out how to play at the professional level for you know a number of different reasons you have to stay healthy God has to bless you with you know your your health but um, there's a lot of things that go into it so um, as a player I don't think it's necessary. There's nothing against Zach Wilson, in my opinion. I don't think there would be anything against him. I think it's just you're you're born and you're 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 taught this mentality that if you work hard and you do the right things, you eat right, you go to bed early, you you come to practice on time or early, and you stay late afterwards, and and you do everything you're supposed to that we ask of you plus more, and you perform, then you're going to get the chance. And I think you know, there's still that little kid in every player that just wants to see the guy who's better perform. I, I okay, and I love everything you just said, but and and I'll answer it, and that is, as a player, on a team that's not putting their best foot forward at the quarterback position, and we both know how significant that position is. I'm gonna be pissed off. I'm gonna be ticked off. I'm gonna be angry. I'm gonna be upset. I signed up to win, not to sit here and have you develop a quarterback. That's that's my point. And, and and maybe maybe that wouldn't be your take, but I would imagine that there's a percentage of players in that Jets locker room that feel that way, wouldn't you? I, I know there are. Okay. But here's my thing. Like, I played with one quarterback. I played with Eli Manning. So I benefited from those players who were there prior to me getting there, watching him struggle and watching him develop. When I got to New York, the talk was, oh, when are you going to get rid of Eli? You know, and then, boom, we won a Super Bowl in my second year, and now he's, you know, the, the greatest thing in the world, and everybody can't get enough of him. And, um, and so I benefited from, you know, people being patient and allowing him to, to have that time to, to develop. So you can't you you just you have to understand that you know there's 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 a longer cycle in the NFL when it comes to you know developing players and there has to be a lot of attention paid to you know what is the future look like how are we going to how are we going to play this out for the future that being said I you know I'm still I still have a player's mindset I still just want the, the guy who plays best to be on the field I was excited you know watching Mike like watching him play I was excited and I was getting fired up and, and watching the way his team reacted to him like when I'm just sitting in there watching the game I'm like yeah this is the guy let him go let him shine like don't hold him back um but then you know you have to take a, a, a step back and, and try to figure out you know what is the long play Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six is the phone number. That's how you get on board. Ira, I see you. You will be first up when we get back. Let's take your calls. Curious, you know, Jets fans, what is your take on the quarterback situation? Listen, I don't believe that there's a controversy here. Where the Jets drafted Zach Wilson, he's the quarterback of the future. And here's another thing, Kiwi, is that, you know, a lot of times quarterbacks can learn from the sideline by watching, right? Like, watch, see, how does Mike White uh, read defenses? Um, you know, how does he prepare for games? A lot of times, quarterbacks get an advantage by taking a hot second. 
and and taking that sometimes you need to take a step back before you can take three steps forward. But and that I do used be- to be that used to be the way. That used to be the the method to which quarterbacks were were coming into the league. And you know, I thought it was strange that there wasn't a veteran quarterback in that room or somebody on that roster, you know, starting the season to help him adjust to the NFL. That adjustment is not just X's and O's. It's not just reading defenses. It's also about life management, time management. You know, how do you take care of your body? Like what things you do. And there's there are things that a veteran quarterback, like you know, ten plus years, regardless of how you know many times he's he's started or Super Bowls he's won, he has to learn and understand. So there are a lot of guys who are probably sitting on the street who could who could have helped him earlier on this season. So 800-919-3776. We want to get your thoughts. We want to talk to you as well. Still a lot more to digest and uh, and discuss here in regard to this matchup. Corey Davis is back. Uh, Mims is out. What does it mean for uh, the weapons that uh, that of course Mike White is going to be utilizing? I, I do like Michael Carter, especially in fantasy this week, considering that uh, that Mike White does like to target him in the uh, passing attack. How is this Jets defense going to go up against the Bills? I would imagine the Bills are upset. They only put up six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you kidding me? They've been struggling. They struggled against Miami as well. Man. Uh, could this be the get-right game for the Bills? It possibly could be. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Let's go to Ira in Staten Island. Ira, welcome in. Hey, good morning, Anita. Good morning, Kiwi. And really looking forward to this game. And I know all the Mike White, Zach Wilson talk that's been going on. Listen, the, the Jets are in the Zach Wilson business. He's your franchise quarterback. If Mike White goes out there and performs well and continues to perform, perform well, I have no problem leaving Zach Wilson on the bench and let him sit and let him learn. And at some point this year, if White you know, has a couple of hiccups, they'll, they'll take over. But you can't disagree that the offense does operate better with White because he seems to feel better. I mean, Elijah Moore gets involved. Carter, Ty Johnson gets involved. Now he's got Corey Davis coming back. So we'll see where this rides out. But just getting to the game today, listen, on paper, you know the Bills are a much better team. I don't know what solid going to be get defensively. I have no safeties. May is out. I don't like Ashton Davis. I would assume he's going to play two high safeties and make them take the under enough stuff. But at the end of the day, I think the Jets are going to keep it close. I know you're going to think I'm crazy. I think White will play well, and he will earn another start against the Dolphins. But I think at the end of the day, the Bills probably won a close game. Listen, Ira, I don't, I don't think you're crazy. And thanks for the phone call. Uh, and and we're gonna, we'll get into our our picks and our predictions a little bit later on in the show. But, uh, you know, Kiwi, considering how the Buffalo Bills have been struggling the last few weeks, I mean, listen, I know they beat Miami, but they were struggling in that game. It was a close call for quite a while. Um, and then only being able to put up six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, you, it, I love, I love how they phrased it: Josh Allen on Josh Allen crime. Um, <laughs> right? Like how that many was, sacks? Was, how many interceptions? Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that, that was, was a just great in, story. That was, that that was, was just insane. But I, I don't, I don't. I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Jets win today with Mike White at, at, at quarterback. I, I don't, I don't think that's insane. Do you? No, it's it's not insane. I, mean, I think we saw last week that I mean we could sit up here and we could predict what is supposed to happen. And right now, like the Jets are not supposed to beat the Bills, but if they decide um, individually, like I'm going to win this matchup, that's what I was saying. Like it's it's a lot about the talent in the NFL is is spread across the board pretty evenly. Like, these guys that we might say, oh, he's a bum or he's this and that, da da da, not me, but like, you know, like people might say, that's a world class athlete who on any day can you know, bring it and come to play. And, you know, for whatever, if he's more motivated or if he has a better understanding or is used correctly, he can have a, a great game. And you have enough of those guys put those games together, then you're 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 in a good position. I think with the Bills um, last week, they were, you know, he was sacked four times and had eight QB hits. And prior to that up front, um, the Bills offensive line was, was doing a very good job. You know, so that reminds me of, you know, us and our game plan was, you know, when you have a quarterback who is very efficient in the pocket, yeah, you know, Josh can run, but, you know, he, he is, you know, he's trying to, you know, throw the ball from within the pocket primarily. When you start hitting him and he's not accustomed to that, that's a game changer. That That's, 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 that's when, you know, all bets are off because, you know, when quarterbacks are, are used to being hit, you know, for my, my, 
my memory, like when you're playing like a, a Romo or a guy like that, like he was accustomed to running all over the field and being hit. He was, he knew he was going to have to do some things. When when guys aren't accustomed to that, you know, a la Brady, um, and they start getting hit, it it, it changes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's not even a slap. I mean, he's the greatest ever, right? But like, but it, it changes. Um, within the game and it's something that they're they're not accustomed to so as a defensive player that was always what we were trying to do was you know hit him but there was a purpose it wasn't like oh we just go out there and hit him and 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 it's going to be great it's going to be a good game no because we understood there were some quarterbacks who you can hit him but they're accustomed to getting hit he's going to get back up off the ground he's going to he's going to you know come back that because he's been hit repeatedly or he had you know a uh, you know team in college where he was under tra- pressure a lot and so he understands it but uh, for some guys you know, for guys who are not accustomed to it, it's it's a new situation and it changes the game. Now it does put a lot of strain on the back end. Now you have to have guys behind you who can who can cover because you know if you're blitzing and that's how you're hitting them, or you know even if he's if he's escaping you, he's gonna he's gonna find um, you know the open man if 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 they're available. And the Bills have done a great job in that secondary of you know taking away those options. Uh, just for the record, uh, I know we've only been working together for a short period of time. Uh, I do not believe that uh, Tom Brady's the best ever. Just no. FYI, and I, no, I'm, I'm sure you and I. It's that's that's a lengthy conversation okay. for uh, more more than just a segment. But uh, but th- that's that's my two cents. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's go to uh, let's go to Peter in Suffering. Peter, welcome in. Hey, how are you? Uh, I'm on the way to the stadium right now. But uh, the one thing people are not talking about when you talk about the quarterbacks is Josh Johnson came in and had a great day, too. And everyone was like, oh, my God. So maybe it's not Mike White. Maybe it's not Josh Johnson. Maybe it's LaFleur going upstairs and changing the scheme and slowing down the game for these quarterbacks that he didn't do for Zach Wilson. I mean, listen, Peter, it's, it's, it's a good point. And, um, you know, I, I know some offensive coordinators love being on the field. Some offensive coordinators love being up there in the box. Obviously, when you're up there in the box, you see, th- you see things differently. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're able to digest in regard to what defenses are doing. Uh, but, you know, then again, you have to rely really heavily on the communication device uh, between you and the players down there and, and players on the phone all the time. So, um, to each their own. I, I mean, you, when you would talk to offensive coordinators, you know, it, it's it's kind of it's a mixed bag in regard to what they prefer, right, Kiwi? That that is a great point, and I can only imagine uh, Zach Wilson if he's if he was sitting there and saying like, "Why weren't you doing this when I was at?" You know, like I can only imagine the frustration that that he probably would have if if it was um, significantly different. I don't I don't know that it, that that made that big of a difference, but it's a good point. I can I can understand it. Let's go to Jeff in Marlboro. Jeff, welcome in. Good morning. Good morning. I love your show. Both you guys are fantastic. Okay, I have two points here if you let me make them. First of all, it wasn't that long ago, years ago, where a quarterback would come in, he'd sit, 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 absorb it all, and eventually, you know, if they fell right, after a few years, he'd get a shot. Now, if you look at, if you look at, at White, what he has experienced, He's 26 years old, but he's been around. He's experienced a heck of a lot of things. He's a terrific athlete. And who knows? You know, now I will agree that he has to be much better, you know, than Zach Wilson to get this job. There's no question about that. But who's to say he won't be? That's my point. Just to say, hey, because we drafted, you know, Wilson as a number two, that he's going to, you know, he's going to be the quarterback in the future. Look, if it happens, it happens. I want him to be, but you can't discount, you can't discard the way that this kid has handled his offense, thrown the ball, carried himself. I mean, he's an experience in his own way. It's crazy to say, 26 year old quarterback, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do today against a terrific defense. And that's my point. Thank you. Jeff, thanks for the phone call. Here's another thing, and, and just marinating this for a minute, um, Kiwi, because we got to go to a break, and, and, and Rich Samini, who's going to is, is going to be joining us next. Listen, if Mike White plays, you know, like like we, I know it's a small sample size, but Mike White plays as well as he has. Who knows? Maybe he's a trading piece, a mm-hmm. trading a, a train a trading pawn, 
um, heading into next season for teams, especially, and, and I think we both know what time it is when, when a, a team drafts a quarterback as high as they have with, uh, with Zach Wilson. You, you know that team is committed to him for the next, at least the next five to six years. So, um, you know, this could, this could be a great stage for Mike White. For, to, from my standpoint, as, as a player, that would be the best case scenario. You know, if Mike White got an opportunity to come in, you know, due to an injury, performed very well, played himself into a lucrative contract somewhere else, Zach Wilson comes in, has the opportunity to 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 study and, and learn from Mike during this process and then plays well after that, I mean, boom, here you go. It's a win-win for everybody. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Uh, good morning, Rich. How are you? Good morning, Anita. Good morning, Kiwi. How are you guys doing? Great, great. How are you doing? We're great. We're great. Uh, I don't know if we're as, as good as, as Mike White. I mean, what a, what a, what an interesting three weeks it has been for him. And obviously the biggest topic of conversation on Sports Talk Radio here in New York is, do we have a quarterback controversy? Uh, Rich, uh, I'll go straight to you, obviously, on this. And what are your thoughts about Mike White and the fact that he's getting another start today? Well, I mean, I guess it's a controversy just by the fact that everyone's talking about it. So that's somewhat controversial. It's under the truest definition of quarterback controversy. No, we haven't gotten to that stage yet because Zach Wilson has not been healthy. So there really hasn't been a huge decision for Robert Sala. Uh, you know, Zach is practicing, but he said it himself on Thursday. He's definitely not 100%. Now, I should note, he practiced fully on Friday for the first time. Very interesting development. Obviously, he's not going to play today. He'll be inactive. But I suspect he will be able to play next week, this coming week, against Miami. So that's where the, you know, that's where the decision comes in for Robert Salas. So that's where we could get the quarterback controversy. And how, how, just curious, how are they dividing the reps during practice if he's practicing? I know a lot of times coaches want to have the guy who's going to be taking the reps get the majority of the snaps and, and whatnot. Is there is there a difference in how they're dividing the reps up? No, Mike White's been getting all the reps, just like the nor- starter normally does. You know, Joe Flacco will be the backup today. Uh, too bad for Josh Johnson because I thought he played really well under some tough conditions in the uh, blowout in Indianapolis, but because of some NFL procedural-type rules, he's kind of stuck on the practice squad right now. So they're going to go with Flacco. They give up a draft pick for him. They might as well play him, I guess. But, no, Mike White got all the reps. Uh, let me ask you in regard to, to Mike White, you know, is this, is, is this a different offense that's being run? Is he just grasping the offense better? Is he just performing better? What what are we what, you know what has been the biggest difference here between Mike White and, and Zach Wilson beyond the obvious, uh, which is experience? But is anything are they doing anything differently offensively? Yeah, that's a great question, Anita. I actually wrote a story about this the other day, and so you know it's the same offense. I mean, Mike Lafleur has done a good job. He's made some very subtle changes. You know, the, the one being the obvious one, he's gone upstairs to call the plays. I think he feels more comfortable up there. The only reason he was doing it from the field was because Zach preferred him down there. So that might be a small reason. I mean, they're using more four wide receiver packages than they had been and, and, and fewer tight end packages. That's another reason. But I think the big reason, and and Lafleur said this himself, is the, the offense is operating quicker with uh, White at quarterback. In fact, you know, you know, we have stats for everything, as you know, Anita. And the Jets are averaging about two seconds faster per play with Lafleur, uh, with White at quarterback, than with Wilson. And he's operating it at at a level, a tempo where it was designed to be. Uh, it was a little slower with Zach. You know, obviously a rookie seeing things from the first time, getting in and out of the huddle, not as fast, but White has really upped the tempo the way they want it to be run. So I think it's mostly Mike White, the reason for the offense playing better. Rich, switching to the, the defensive side of the ball, um, Salah, Coach Salah said that the the problems on defense in, in the run game were more technique than, than schematics, um, you know, against the Colts. And, you know, he pointed out that, you know, the running backs were, were gaining a lot of yards prior to even being touched and that that was something that needed to be cleaned up. Is that – was that addressed this week in your opinion? And what do you think changes need to be made? 
Yeah, in fact, uh, Kiwi was seven yards per carry before contact, which is just a utterly mind-boggling figure. I'm sure as a former defensive lineman, I mean, that probably makes your stomach a little queasy to hear something like that. But uh, that's what they were dealing with against Indianapolis. I think they were completely outcoached in that game. And I thought the Colts' offensive line did a great job of getting to the second level, getting on the Jets' linebackers. Um, the Jets have to do a better job of defeating double-team blocks on the interior with, with Williams and Rankins, and the linebackers just have to do a better job of, uh, of helping against those double-teams and filling gaps because it was just a mess. And it wasn't like they were physically blown off the ball play after play, just that they were caught out of position. Mm-hmm. I think some of it had to do with the short week. You know, when you have a very young team and you only have a really a day or two of preparation, I think it's going to show up, and it did. And so we'll see. I mean, the Bills do not have a high-powered running attack, as we know. Sometimes they barely run the ball. So I suspect the Jets will handle the run a lot better today. Again, Rich Samini joining us here on 98.7 ESPN New York Game Day. Uh, Rich, you've, you've got a, a great podcast that folks can uh, tune into. Why don't you give them that information as well? Yeah, Flight Deck. It's called Flight Deck, and uh, it's you get it on any of the uh, platforms that you get your podcasts. And each week we have a cool guest, and so yeah, so we'll we'll be dissecting this uh, Jet Bills and also heavily into the quarterback situation. Um, one last thing before I, I do let you go, and and I want to go back to the offensive side of the ball because this is a conversation that, that Kiwi and I had earlier when we when we first started the show at eight o'clock, and that is, you know. I, who knew how good Mike White was going to be? And again, I understand it's a small sample size, yada, yada, yada. But like, it's evident to me, Rich, that, you know, he's light years ahead of, of Zach Wilson, which if we can see that in this small sample size, I'm sure the coaches knew that through training camp, you know, and, and I would imagine that there's some players that are on this roster who are like, you know, we possibly could have won some more ball games if we would have started Mike White in the beginning. I understand the philosophy of wanting to, you know, get Zach Wilson, uh, the experience, the snaps, and whatnot. But if I'm a player that I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'll be here next year, two years from now. I, you know, that's not going to sit well with me. That you know, that I'm playing for a team that cares more about developing their quarterback for the future than winning ball games now. I, I, like, what's your take on that philosophy? Yeah, it's a very interesting thought. I, I can tell you, no one in the organization thought for a second in training camp that Mike White was going to be challenging for the starting job. Uh, the only thing I can tell you about Mike White in training camp, it became very apparent to everyone, including the media, that he was much better than James Morgan. It took about two days for us to figure that out. And, of course, they ended up cutting Morgan and keeping White as their backup. I think all the players knew uh, at least the players I talked to, that you know, this was one of those cases where you know maybe they were taking one step back to go two steps forward by playing Zach Wilson, and you know he did have a good preseason, although it was the ultimate fool's gold preseason because if you recall, we talked about this a number of times. He didn't play against any starting defenses. He wasn't knocked to the ground once in the preseason, but he, you know he played really well. So I think there was some level of optimism that he'd be able to handle it. Obviously, he has not been able to handle it. But on the Mike White front, you know, it's easy to say now, well, if they'd only played him since day one. But he also had the benefit of coming in now where you have an offensive line that has been together for several weeks. This offensive line was a mess early in the year. They gave up 15 sacks in the first three games. Some of that was on Wilson, and a lot of it was on the offensive line. But that group has gotten better. They've, they've built some continuity. So Mike White has stepped into a better situation. So I don't think you could automatically draw the conclusion that, oh, the Jets would have four or five wins right now if Mike White had been starting you know, from week one. Interesting. Good stuff, Rich. Appreciate you as always. Thank you so much for joining us on New York Game Day. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Joining us is a very dear friend of mine. Him and I go way, way back. Gosh, I hate saying that because, you know, it just uh, makes me realize just how old I am and how long I've been in this business. But Vic Carucci joins us here on 98.70 SPN. Uh, he's got his own show, and he has for uh, quite a while now on Sirius XM, and he also works for the NBC uh, WGRZ station in Buffalo, knows the Buffalo Bills better than anyone else, and he joins Matthias and I right now. So, 
Vic, first things first. Hi, it's great, great to have you on, man. It's been it's been a hot second. It, it has been. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you to hear your voice, and you're right. We we have a long time uh, friendship going. All that means though is you stayed the same. I got older. That's all. Uh, just <laughs> oh, Vic, there's not enough Botox in the world. But anyway, enough about us. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about this Buffalo Bills team, right? Like, dude, they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 9-6. to What is wrong with this team right now? What's wrong with this offense that they can only put up six points against the Jags, Vic? Yeah, it was that was just unconscionable and crazy um, to, to see that happen uh, because, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to even suggest it. it was a hint of what I thought could happen in that game. No way. You blow them out. They're the Jaguars. They're awful. The Bills are supposed to be good, and, and I still think they are. I know we'll get into that. But that game was reflective of a team that somehow found the, the you know, the, all the wrong, when you, if you want to reference uh, the moon and the stars and everything lining up the wrong way uh, it, or the right way for Jacksonville, I guess it did. But I can't explain how an offense that was averaging better than 30 points a game that was one of the, this season and then certainly one of the very best in the NFL last season uh, could be as dysfunctional as it was. Josh Allen uh, looked horrible. Uh, he used an expletive to describe the game he played, and no one was going to argue with that. But, you know, where does that come from? Because uh, th- there was no business struggling that much to only produce two field goals uh, on a day when your defense does more than enough to give you the win. Yeah, and, and staying right there as a defensive player, what what is the sense? What do you say to a defense that gives up nine points to, you know, a, you know, a team and then comes out with a loss? Is there any fragmentation? Are they answering questions together, or is it one side versus the other in that locker room? Yeah, Matthias, and that is obviously the, the thought. Uh, you know, the uns- I'll call it an unspoken thought at the moment because the team is publicly certainly putting forth a united front and the defensive players uh, more or less are grinning and bearing uh, what is not happening, I guess, on the other side of the ball. This isn't the first time that the offense has not uh, held its own, even, even in a, in a game where um, they, they've won, you know, those, those situations have occurred. Uh, it's been very inconsistent there, but the defense is really the strength of this team and has been all season long. They've ranked, first in the league and, and uh, you know, scoring and, and also in yards allowed, uh, they've been lights out in, in so many games that really out of, uh, out of the, the eight games played, they've been strong in seven. The, the only exception was that Tennessee game where they did give up 34 points. And I, I will put that game more on the defense's end, even though it ended with the missed fourth and one uh, with Josh Allen. But that aside, I, I think, there's been a sense that this team has completeness, that the defense, which it did not have last year, playing at the level it's playing, um, is is in place to give it foundationally what it needs to go the distance, to go that one more step that they didn't go last year and get to the Super Bowl. But I can't, you know, I can't lie to you guys and sit here and say, but it's okay because the offense will come around. Well, you know, what we saw against Jacksonville Look many miles away from that. Yeah, and absolutely. Into- and, and here, here's 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 another thing, guys, um, that is really insane to me. And and I don't, I'm, you know, and, and I, I'd love for Matthias as, as well for you to chime in on this. And you know, Vic, I, I want to start with you though, and that is, you know, Vic, you and I have been covering the NFL for so long. It's week. We're heading into week ten. Have teams now found out the elixir, the magical formula to go up against? We saw the Miami Dolphins beat the Ravens on Thursday. Kansas City is struggling this season. Now, now, granted, you know, this is a this is a a, a Bills team that beat the Miami Dolphins 26 to 11, but listen, that had that that game had some people quite frightened uh, in week in week 8 as well. So, do you feel that this is just a matter of you know, we're midway through the season and in, in, in teams and defenses kind of have found the right, the secret sauce, the formula to attack 
and and try to beat the Lamar Jacksons, the Josh Allens, and the Patrick Mahomes, Vic? You, you have to wonder. Um, you have to wonder about what the bigger picture means here because what we saw in week nine was, uh, like you said, a, a bevy of, of these upsets or at least perceived upsets, uh, and, and maybe um, the calculations are wrong. Maybe the assumption that one team is that much better than the other and following the guidance of odds makers is, you know, not the, the, the right thing to do. At least there, there's these anomalies that are coming up statistically of, of teams that have been, you know, favored by more than a touchdown coming up with, uh, with victories. And like you said, what we saw uh, in the Thursday night game with Lamar Jackson struggling the way he did, I mean, not even a chance on, on many plays, uh, and, and how and how Miami just 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 blitzed and blitzed and blitzed uh, in that game. And uh, you talk about the secret sauce for Josh Allen. I mean, yes, Miami also uh, provided some coverage issues that he was struggling with for sure. And in general, just not 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 feeling comfortable with anything he was seeing or reading. For the better part, that was like uh, a half and, and maybe a half of the third quarter before. They finally found something, and that something was Cole Beasley to open it up. But um, looking at these other games, looking at what Denver does to Dallas and, and all these other games, maybe, maybe we're, we're just at 10, uh, 10 weeks into the season, maybe we don't have the handle on who the best of the best really are in the NFL. Yeah, coming into the season, you know, of, of all the divisions, you know, the Bills were picked to 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 run away with theirs. At this point in the season, is it is it time for them to start looking over their shoulder, or do they just continue going full speed ahead with the the assumption that you know this is still going to be their vision? You know, the Patriots sitting at five and four, you know, there's things are looking a lot different than than we expected. Your thoughts? Yeah, you are you are done. You are dialing into one of the, 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 the real conversations, <laughs> I think, that are, that's going on around this team. Because, Matthias, when you looked at the stretch of the schedule, when you, when you looked at you know, Miami, followed by Jacksonville, followed by the Jets, uh, before they really got to a team that could give them trouble, Indianapolis. I'm talking about what the mindset was prior to that Miami game. What the, the, the conventional thought, from the uh, not from the Bills, uh, although I would be shocked if at least one or two people within the organization did, didn't have the same thought that I had, and others had. They're going to be on a cruise. They're going to they're going to be on this cruise run to possibly be able to run away and hide with the division championship not long after Thanksgiving. Okay, that's been completely reworked now. And 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 oh yeah, after that, then it's just focusing on home field advantage in the playoffs. Well. Let's not even bring up the home field conversation because that's that's not on the table in, in a real sense when you consider they lost to Tennessee and Tennessee's opened up a little distance. Um, but yeah, Baltimore kind of comes back to this flood of teams in this sort of the same category of Buffalo with five or six wins, and 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 it, it's a cluster. And now the division, um, what happens here? Uh, they, that's why this game, this, this game against the Jets, if, if you don't want to call it a must game because calling games must wins in mid-November seems a, a bit of a, a reach or an overstatement, then certainly urgency has to be at its highest because you lose this and you have really put yourself in peril with a threatened uh, a team that could threaten you for the division title, and that of course would be New England, uh, right on their heels. So I am not ruling out that possibility, even though as I speak to both of you right now, I, I firmly believe Buffalo is still the best team in that division. But they've got to show that they've got to, you know, this this Jets game has to be an example of what we think or thought they were, or what they think they are. And if it's anything other than that, then. You know, we'll have another conversation about this, um, and it's gonna it's gonna be I don't know about these guys. Vic Carucci joining us here on ninety eight point seven ESPN New York Game Day, doing a deep dive into the Bills, who we know the Jets are going to take on a little bit later on this afternoon. Okay, before we let you go, uh, let let let's talk about some certain players and some X's and O's. You know, I, I think a big reason why, in my own. Uh, two cents uh, that the bills have been struggling Vic is because they can't run the football either. They can't run the football or they don't want to run the football. I know, um, you know, 
Zach Moss is, is coming off of a concussion, Singletary. I mean, neither of these guys scare you. They're only averaging 3.4 yards per carry. In fact, Josh Allen led in rushing three of his last four games. Like, th- that's just, that's that's not going to work. Uh, especially in the NFL, you can't be that one-dimensional, even though you can run on the Jets, right? Like, uh, the, the, you know, the opponent in the matchup is more favorable for the Bills. So I guess my question to you is, are we going to see that change this this week? Are we going to see that change today? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's that is the the, the million dollar question. But honestly, I am not as caught up about the run game as others are. It, it's a legitimate point that they're not running well, or, or to say that they're running poorly is an understatement. However, I go back to 2020 and tell you that the running game was not a strength of an offense that was second in the league in total points, second in the league in yards, um, and and then third in passing. Uh, So the running game was not holding back their strength. They are still a throw-first, throw-it-constantly team. That is the Brian Dayball offense. I think the short and intermediate throws, those screens, function in his his way of running an offense as run plays. they don't have a really good line to do much of anything right now. It was it's the call it really. It was atrocious against Jacksonville. I'm not quite sure it's that bad, but I won't tell you. I can't tell you how much better it really is than that. But I think it's a little bit better than that. And it's had injuries and it's had a lot of shuffling. That's contributed to the running issues or problems. But I I, I believe the bigger problem, if we're not seeing in this Jets game and beyond. And what we didn't see in Jacksonville are those difference-making, long-range, you know, uh, big play throws from Josh to Stephon Diggs, from Josh to Emmanuel Sanders, opening things up, even now getting Dawson Knox healthy and back from that broken hand, making plays that way. If we're not seeing that, then we're, we're not seeing the Bills' offense. If we see them run the ball better, fine. But I think the running game in the context of improvement should really be what is needed to close games out, the four-minute drill, so to speak. Kiwi, any final questions before we let Vic go? Uh, just, just one. So as, a, as somebody who's been around the game for you know, five-plus decades, I just want to get your opinion. I get asked all the time, you know, with the current state of the game and knowing what we know about head injuries and, and, and health and mental health, what – do you think the state of the game is going to be like 10, 20 years from now? You've seen a lot of changes in the NFL. Do you think enough changes have been made for this game to continue being played the way that it is? I, I don't know that uh, enough changes, uh, drastic you know, changes, tangible ones have been made. It still is a violent game, a dangerous game uh, by its very nature. Um, the balance is going to be what, the NFL sees itself and how it views itself in the eyes of its customers as, you know, the hard hitting uh, high action sport that it is collision sport that it is high collision sport that it is as a selling point um, until we get to a, a, a place where there is some feeling that that isn't appealing, that that isn't the reason people are still, you know, showing up at games, paying premium prices, tuning in all the TV ratings, everything. Until there is a tangible, um, until there is tangible evidence that people are tuning out because they don't uh, feel the game is safe enough, and they therefore don't want to watch that, that that they, that it just isn't pleasant for them to see. I think that's where the change would be forced. As I speak to you now, and I, besides, I don't have hard evidence of this. Uh, I haven't looked at, at any like focus group information, but I think the three of us know. The, the, the TV numbers continue to be strong. The demand for the game continues to be strong. Uh, we are going through a 17-week season. If anything is threatening health and whatever, or 17 games, uh, that certainly would, would rank there. And I think we need to see what that looks like when this is over, whatever studies are, are done uh, on that basis. Uh, but I heard what Tom Brady said about this, and you guys did too, uh, that he was – strongly against this whole notion of the need to play that extra game. And he thinks it's physically wearing. Uh, and, and I don't think he was just talking as, the, you know, the oldest guy 
in the league, a guy in his 40s. I think he was talking about everybody. But, but he also has the luxury of saying, you know, we don't need that extra paycheck. Hey, you know, we all know there are some guys who absolutely need and want and would do anything to get that extra paycheck, play 20 games, whatever, and get paid for it. Uh, but that all said, um, I think that the tipping point will be consumption. And, 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 and every decision that's been driven by this business or any business is, are we still viable and do people still want our product at the highest levels that we can imagine? Um, and and if, if, it, if they don't and that's cited as a consistent reason, then I think you're going to see real change. Vic, so great having you on with us this morning. I really do appreciate your time, my friend. Great to hear your voice. Uh, in, enjoy the game. Thank you, Vic. Yeah, same here, and thank you. Enjoyed being with both of you, and uh, look forward to doing with it, doing uh, talking with you guys both down the line. You got it. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Good morning, Mike T. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How's everybody? Great. We're great. great. Good morning. We're doing well. We're doing well, gentlemen. Let's dive into it. Biggest news this week. Quite a, a lot of news, but probably none bigger than Odell Beckham Jr. agreeing. Uh, to join the Rams, $4.5 million for the year. Where it stands right now, unless they work out a new deal, he's expected to be a free agent going into next season, But uh, and also expected to suit up and play on Monday night. I'm also hearing uh, that they're considering utilize, utilizing him in, in the punt return. But before we get into all that, Mike, you know, explain the timeline here in regard to when the Rams signed Odell Beckham Jr. and when Robert Woods suffered the ACL injury and, and the team confirmed that it was an ACL kind of what's that timeline pan it out paint it out for us yeah my understanding was you know they signed him and then Robert Woods got hurt and obviously you know they're very fortunate to add somebody of OBJ's potential um and now that Robert Woods got hurt the signing already looks better and I think the signing is a lot better than the Von Miller trade when you think about you know Von Miller they give up a second or a third round pick you know for basically eight games. And you know, Anita, you could find those, you know, outside first round pass rushers. They're a dime a dozen, you know, like BC, Texas A. I mean, you can find them wherever you want. So. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I, so, but in all seriousness, you know, back with the Jets, we, we added players like Braylon Edwards. We added players like Santonio Holmes. And the speech with OBJ is a very simple one. Like, look, come on in. We're going to stand shoulder to shoulder. You have a massive opportunity to help us to get to where we want to go. And if we play great and you play great, you'll be the premier free agent in March of 2022, which is four short months from now. So block when we ask you to block, run routes when we ask you to run routes and catch the ball when it comes your way and put a smile on your face. And whatever happened in Cleveland is ancient history. Here's really quick, and and, and Matthias, then I want to hear your thoughts. This is what I find interesting, though, okay? Um, Number one, Odell was, you know, unhappy in Cleveland because he wasn't getting the ball. Prior to Woods getting injured, you had Cup. We all know the offense runs through Cup. He's averaging 10 to 12 targets a game, even with Woods there, even with Van Jefferson, even with Tyler Higby, who's an above-average tight end in the NFL. That decision did not make, make sense to me. And also, Mike, prior to this injury being reported, Odell said that he was going to take the weekend to decide what to do. I, I I understand that, you know, we're putting, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, and, and, and right now everything that's being reported is that Odell signed and agreed to the Rams before the injury, but I, I just I, I just don't know because it just doesn't it just doesn't compute. It doesn't add up. You're leaving Cleveland because you're unhappy about your tar- your lack of target share and you're gonna go to a team where um, chances are you're not gonna get a lot of targets either. And it's not like the Cleveland Browns aren't in the running to possibly win their their division and, and make a run at, at winning a Super Bowl with that defense. So it wasn't like he went from like a bad team to a, a good team. He, you know, you can argue that he went to a better team, but I just, just, you know, it's it just it it all didn't compute for me. But now it makes total sense. And with Woods not being there and, and unfortunately suffering the ACL injury. Um, then I, then I, now I can envision Odell being a, a bigger part of that offense. What your thoughts, Kiwi? Yeah. So m- my thought was that, um, because Woods went through practice, he made it through and, um, did interviews and everything and then went to get an MRI. It kind of, to me, 
smelt as if he knew something was going on. I don't think he anticipated like tearing an ACL or anything like that. But I think you know there's a chance that maybe he or, or the organization had a, a feeling like hey something isn't quite right, and and so that that may have influenced their decision. No, I no this is complete speculation. No no facts or anything like to back that up. But it just it just seemed it just seemed odd to me that you know that um, he would make it through and then you know after practice after interviews all that kind of stuff you know and then find out that it was such a such a catastrophic injury i um i think it's it's a it's a great landing spot for for obj in my opinion the only things that i thought that he needed were a um a quarterback that he respects he has that and a quarterback who has mastery and autonomy over the offense meaning that he understands exactly where to go with the ball isn't going to be you know put on a spot or trying to pick and choose how to how to get obj the ball and then somebody who can has a control or you know relationship with the coach so he can probably make changes on the fly and give obj a hand signal you know for his individual route as opposed to waiting until he understands the entire offense i think that you know plus the run or the uh, return game is a great way to to work him in and i think you know the stage is set you know there's there's no more um he he can't he couldn't have asked for a better sort of set of circumstances. It's unfortunate there was an injury, but he couldn't have asked for a better set of circumstances to exit Cleveland and to fall into in terms of does he want it? Does he want to compete and to and to try to win um, a championship this year? Because the opportunity is there. And, um, and right, and, and just to add to that, uh, Kiwi is, I'm sure the sales pitch from Sean McVay is like, look. We play 65% of our offense with three receivers on the field. That's known as 11 personnel. So you're going to come in here and start, even though at the time we have Woods, we got Cup. You're going to come in and start. We have a great young receiver we like in Van Jefferson, and he'll be able to back up all three spots because he's really smart. And we got Tyler Higby. We got a decent running game. But make no mistake about it, you're going to play a lot of meaningful snaps because our base offense has three receivers on the field. So mm-hmm. I think from a sales pitch standpoint, Anita – I yep. think it's very plausible that he, they were selling a, a big opportunity. And my understanding is he owns a house out there. So, like, to me, if I'm him, and I'm thinking, like, where's my next best opportunity for literally eight games, and I'm choosing between Green Bay, Kansas City, and the Rams, I think you could put a plausible argument that I probably would put Green Bay slightly ahead just because it's been a revolving door on the other side of Devontae Adams. But, you know, look. Same thing in Kansas City. It's going to go to Kelsey and Hill before it's going to go to him. So I think you can make a pretty good argument here that going to the Rams is going to put him in the best opportunity of the choices he had. Uh, gentlemen, let's look big picture here in regard to you know the Rams and 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 the NFC it, itself, right? Like uh, you know earlier in the show, Kiwi and I kind of you know did, did a quick glance around, but. You know, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Rams and the Cardinals. I'm looking at Tampa Bay, and you know, we'll see what happens with the Saints. You know, with the quarterback situation, that's uh, that's that's definitely a huge hit on them. But Atlanta is surprising some folks. Which, by the way, Mike, I, I like Atlanta today against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the Green Bay Packers, obviously Dallas. Who who do you see, Mike? I'll, I'll go to you on this first. And so, who do you see coming out of the NFC representing the NFC in the Super Bowl this year? I like Dallas. Um, I think we learned a lot on opening day that Dak came off of a massive injury on his lower leg last year, hurt his shoulder, didn't have any training camp, and they went toe-to-toe with Tampa. And I think when they're healthy, and I think they'll get some of these guys back like Demarcus Lawrence, their second-round pick, Kelvin Joseph, I think that defense has played well and it's going to get better. And offensively, if Tyron Smith comes back, I think they're really hard to beat. So... I think Dallas is the most complete team, uh, but I think any of those top five, the Rams, Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, or Dallas, I think you can make an argument for any of them, but uh, of those five, I would go with Dallas. Kiwi? I agree with the fact that you can make an argument for for the majority of them. Yeah, Dallas, I, I could I could see that point. Arizona, L.A. I like L.A. right now just because of the moves that they've made and, and – um, you know what they what they have at stake you know i think coaching staff on down there there has to be a sense of urgency in that building but i don't think you can count out green bay aaron Rodgers with all the the chips that he's got on his shoulders stacked up i mean regardless of how you feel about how he handled that situation he's a guy who loves to play with a chip on his shoulder and comes and performs very well under pressure and then tampa bay you know they um, there's something to be said for you know that kind of leadership and having been there before and knowing you know when to 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 push 
everything that you have left in the tank at, at what point in the season, when to, you know, push guys back on the field and when to let them rest and, and when to, um, you know, install certain things into, into the playbook. So I do like Tampa Bay, but I just, you know, my eyes on, on LA right now, just because the, the stage has been set. Also some other news guys, uh, Cam Newton back in Carolina, Superman, uh, puts his cape on, goes back to the Carolina Panthers. I, I don't understand this move, though, uh, Mike. And I had Cynthia Freeland from the NFL Network on my show yesterday. And maybe, you know, based on, on her analysis, you know, uh, like big picture, okay, maybe you bring Cam in, you're auditioning him. Can he learn the system? Can he implement it? Does he play well? Uh, looking towards next year. But right now, Carolina has the most difficult schedule for the remainder of the season. They still got to take the Bucks on twice. They're at the Buffalo Bills. They have to take on the Saints, that Saints defense. I just don't understand the move for right now, so I'm fading the Carolina Panthers. In fact, one of my, ba- my favorite bets is under six and a half wins this season. But, I, like, long term, like, what, what, what do you make of this move? Yeah, I, I like it for the long term because if the three of us were running a team and we said, who's going to be our starting quarterback in September of 2022? You know, we could look at the draft. The draft really, to me, you know, there's more question marks. You know, when you look at guys like Ritter from Cincinnati, Pickett from Pitt, Willis from Liberty, like there's going to be a couple guys that may wind up going in the first round, but I don't think it's to the caliber of what came out this year. And if we're sitting there and saying, like, well, we're going to get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson in the offseason, I think that would be an irresponsible approach because I think getting either of those two to the Carolina is certainly plausible, but I think an uphill battle. So, when you look at the chessboard and say, okay, what's our best shot to win? To me, it's a healthy Cam Newton. So I thought he would have played better um, in New England and maybe another year off of shoulder surgery, he will. I, I mean, I've always thought he was a great player. We've always struggled with him, be it Jets or Miami. And if we're looking at all the options we have for our football team, uh, a healthy Cam Newton to me is probably the best option. Kiwi? I mean, that's, that's understandable. That. The thought was that, or the the word was that it was his injuries that made them, you know, uh, release him and that he's healthy now. If he really is healthy now and can perform, I agree with you. He, he does give him a good shot. And I don't, I don't think that you, you know, go again looking to trade or, or draft somebody right now to um, – uh, to win this team has a lot of the other pieces that are necessary and has you know an opportunity there if you could just get that quarterback position solidified so i i like it long term um i agree with you short term it's it's uh it's going to take some time for him to to get back in and get back in the building and get an understanding of it um so it's going to be difficult but um long term next year i agree with you guys um one last piece of information or, or, or storyline and of course that's aaron Rodgers now back Expected to start today against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, wasn't allowed in the building until yesterday. And and again, this is a, an athlete who got tested positive for COVID and had some, you know, ill effects from it. This wasn't an athlete that got tested positive for COVID and, uh, you know, wasn't feeling anything. So uh, not sure how that's going to play into today's game. But, uh, Mike, you know, only a $15,000 fine for him and, and Lazard for, uh, you know, breaking the, the COVID-19 NFL rules and regulations. Uh, your thoughts on the fine? I mean, fifteen thousand dollars to Aaron Rodgers is probably like you know I don't know a dollar to us. But your thoughts on on the fine and your thoughts on on what you what we should expect from Aaron Rodgers today against Seattle? I thought we were getting a shameless plug of like Anita's locks of the week and how you're going to turn fifteen grand into forty five grand. <laughs> you're going to have new shoes and clubs and wine, and you're going to take Kiwi and I out for dinner. So if you want to just keep going there, Anita, I mean. Fifteen grand's a lot to me. I'm not a former first round pick, and you know I'm not a world class gambling expert. So you know, as a, you know, former little intern myself, I'll take the fifteen k. But no, in all seriousness, I would say that uh, it, optically it looks awful for the league when they're you know finding CD Lamb for some equipment violation, which is more than what they find Aaron Rodgers. So I think the optics aren't great, but you know I'm sure there's some precedent there in terms of they're trying to. By the way, I think something that's really important for us to uh, remind the audience, these are jointly approved protocols by the league and the union. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not like Park Avenue just indiscriminately saying this is the way it's going to be. These are like carefully thought out, well vetted protocols that have input from world class data scientists, world class uh, infectious disease doctors, and then players, coaches, everybody. Like, 
you know, it's it's really the NFL against the virus, right? This is not your typical, you know, collectively bargained dynamic. So I think that's really important to understand. And when I see this, Anita, all I can think about is they're really trying to give these players, like, hey, we're going to give you just a slap on the wrist the first time, but after that we're going to ramp it up, you know, significantly. So I don't think the optics were great, but I think perspective is important. And I think the league and the union deserve a ton of credit because, you know, we're going into the back half of year two. We've seen great football. Hasn't been perfect. You know, we had the Denver situation a year ago where they're playing a receiver. But by and large, like, we're playing football, and the world, you know, is dealing with a very insidious virus. So um, I don't think this was the league's finest week. But from a big-picture standpoint, I I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's difficult when you talk about how to levy punishment from the NFL standpoint. We're sitting here talking about, you know, Aaron Rodgers and 15,000 isn't a – I've never thought that fines were – a good way to 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 judge you know the severity of a of a crime or you know of an infraction because it means so much different to so many different people you know if if an undrafted free agent gets fined fifteen thousand dollars and Aaron Rodgers gets fined fifty thousand dollars those are two completely different set of circumstances so I I agree um I don't think I just don't think that the NFL could have won in this situation I mean do you find him you know astronomically or do you not I I I said what I said about how he handled it. Now it's time to move on and, and play football. And the NFL did whatever it did. I hope that he is healthy and doesn't have any long-term effects. And I think that uh, of any player, you know, to come back, you know, he's probably setting this up to be like his, his Jordan flu game and, and, and whatnot. But um, I, I, don't, I, just, I don't know how you, how you can levy a fine in the NFL that is going to have the same impact for each player. Was it a Jordan flu or was it a Jordan hangover? <laughs> I thought, based on the documentary, it was confirmed that it was a hangover. That's right. That's right. I'm, that's, that's just that. And I play with a gentleman who I play golf with a gentleman who 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 was a part of that team, and I can confirm it was a hangover. <laughs> 